Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising. And this week, we're going to be talking to Emily Hutchinson. She's an occupational psychologist with 25 years of working with individuals in organisations, particularly in the technical engineering and safety critical industries. When I came across Emily's work, it was because she's actually working on a book called The Strengths-Based Organisation. And she's working on it with a colleague within a similar industry called Catherine. And I thought that this was a really interesting subject area because I've always thought positive psychology is of interest. And I remember the precursor to the engagement movement, if those of you who remember things like Gallup Engagement and Marcus Buckingham's books, a lot of that was about playing to people's strengths. And this is something that Emily and Catherine are actually putting into action within the businesses that they're working with. So I thought this was something which is of relevance to all of us. I certainly found it interesting. It's actually uh, a telephone call that we've recorded, so it may sound slightly different from the podcasts when I've been actually face-to-face with people, although hopefully less background noise, so slightly less painful than a couple of the ones we've done. And uh, yes, please let us know what you think to this. Join the LinkedIn group, feedback um, on social media, because I find this subject fascinating. Hopefully you will too. So over to a conversation with Emily Hutchinson. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. Uh, This is Lucinda Carney speaking. And this week I've got a conversation with a lady called Emily Hutchinson. Now, Emily is a chartered occupational psychologist, but she's very much a practitioner. I became introduced to Emily because we're actually both working on books on totally different topics. But Emily and her colleague, Caroline, are both writing a book on the strengths-based organisation. And this is something that is very interesting to me and I think is very interesting to many of us who are working with people because there's a lot of evidence out there that if we are able to help the people that work in our businesses play to their strengths or develop their strengths, it's actually more powerful than working on weaknesses. So some of the theory that I've been aware of some years is around that. And when I understood Emily was writing a book on it, I thought, actually, I'd like to hear more. So that's what we're going to focus on. So welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us. Lovely to be here. So would you like to, I know I've introduced, I'm sure I've not quite got it right. Do you want to just give me a little bit of a a background about yourself and also the book and your business partner? Sure. So um, I'm an occupational psychologist, as as you said, and I've been working in that field for um, over 25 years, so quite quite a long time and and worked for myself for the last 12. Um, I was almost an engineer in the early stages of my career. So partly because of that, I've tended to work with um, mostly with kind of engineering and technical Um, businesses and also probably partly because of that kind of quite sort of scientific and and practical angle I've always been very interested in the application of um, psychology to business um, probably more than the theory so as an occupational psychologist I'm always focused on making sure that 
whatever I'm I'm doing with the business is based on kind of you know grounded in solid research and evidence. But my focus is always on the does it make a difference? Is it usable? Is it something that actually people in the business can use rather than relying on me coming in and doing for them? That's interesting, Emily, because um, some people will have heard the Rob Breener interview that we did uh, a few weeks ago. And it, this is a different angle uh, on psychology. Basically, it's not purely academic. This is very much about application in the workplace. Absolutely, absolutely. And I've um, I, I have actually, as well as being a practitioner, always had academic roles alongside uh, my pr- practitioner. And that's partly so that I do always try and keep one foot in the academic world and also know what the current thinking is, actually, and what the students who are coming through are kind of thinking is important in organisations. But um, for me, I suppose the value comes if we can actually make a difference to the individuals who work within the organisations and to the organisations themselves. Great. Okay. So um, do you want to just briefly explain a little bit about your book? And I talked, I said Caroline's your business partner. She's your co-author, isn't she? She, Yeah, she is. So Caroline, so I've been very fortunate in that I've had a a quite a long-term contract. I work for a number of clients, but I've got, had a particular contract with a a very large global engineering consultancy for a long time. And Caroline um, works within that consultancy. So uh, her background is actually as an engineer, um, but she sort of moved into a kind of people role and she's absolutely uh, fascinated by this area. So we're very lucky in that we get to work together, uh, me bringing this kind of psychology knowledge and, and background and her bringing her very kind of in-depth knowledge of the organisation and how people work and how the business works and what the business requirements are and how whatever we do needs to kind of fit with that. Um, and the book, I guess, has kind of come about because when... Uh, I've been interested in the strengths approach for for quite some time, so probably for about uh, 15 years, um, where I when I kind of first came across positive psychology and this notion that um, I guess psychology traditionally is always focused on um, kind of I suppose more was more focused on what was wrong with people rather than what was right with people. So um, I heard it described recently by someone actually that that traditional psychology had sort of focus on mental health from kind of minus 10 to zero and then when positive psychology was launched it was actually saying well hang on a minute let's focus on how we get people to be plus a hundred or plus a thousand so switch the focus from kind of you know moving people up from sort of a negative state to a kind of okay state to moving to a really uh, state of flourishing and in fact positive psychology is referred to as the scientific study of human flourishing so mm. um this kind of switch around to kind of focus on that felt quite exciting to me and I think the potential for um, creating something that was really around positive emotions rather than negative emotions felt very important for the workplace. Um, So when I started working uh, with Caroline we kind of talked about this approach and um, again very lucky with the business that they were kind of up for us experimenting a little bit on them. Um, I was going to ask that I was curious, Emily, because you are um, in an engineering firm, and as you know, I've worked in technical environments, uh, do they not see this as being a bit fluffy? Or do, do they think it's tangible? <laughs> they absolutely do. Um, <laughs> and I you know, and I think that's always the case, isn't it, with, with the people stuff? And, you know, we're, we're talking about if people are uh, familiar with kind of Myers-Briggs types, then, you know, technical people are the, kind of the classic, um, ISTJ or ESTJ which are kind yeah. of very logical you know detailed kind of if you can't touch it 
then it doesn't exist. It has to be very tangible. And of course, as soon as you start talking about um, things to do with people, you know, it's very hard to make them tangible, especially if you're talking about feelings and emotions. Um, and then also, certainly in engineering space, uh, you know, there's a kind of mindset which goes with engineering, which is um, about being kind of critical and looking for problems mm. um, to solve. So it's all, you know, it's always sort of focused on what what's the problem rather than perhaps kind of thinking about how fantastic something can be. Um, so, um, yes, so there is something about kind of how it's introduced. Now, um, this is, I suppose, Caroline's forte, especially because she's been in that world and she is an engineer and she understands that mindset. She's also actually got a strength. I'll start using the language that we're talking about yeah. here. So she's got a real strength in terms of connecting people um networking so she kind of can't help herself but um you know talk to everyone and see how how people can kind of connect together to make something better and so uh, kind of what we started doing really was um you know she would sort of find out things that were already going on in the business so there might be a project review meeting going on or a, a project kickoff meeting or something else like that and she would just say oh you know great that you're having this meeting can we come along and kind of just just uh, facilitate it in a slightly different way from normal and then we'll kind of see how we go um and again because of her strengths um you know she could share the relationships people. yeah absolutely she had the relationships they trusted her they kind of knew that she understood the business so she wouldn't get in the way of the business and i think that's important yeah and you know, we then had the opportunity to go in and do something. Now, even then, there was probably res resistance, especially when I remember um, uh, one meeting when we were trying a, you know, using an appreciative inquiry, which is about kind of rather than starting off with the problem statement, you start off with the kind of what's working well already. And actually, then you move on to the kind of dream stage, which is, you know, how fantastic could it be? Um, mm. And you know, with these sort of engineers, we're saying, right, now we're going to do an exercise around dreaming and drawing pictures. And mm. they were... Loved it. All sort of, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, in fact, they did, of course, when they started it, but there was the resistance, the initial resistance. Yes. And then we were kind of like, oh, come on, you know, we're just we're just playing, we're just experimenting to see how it works. Um, and they started doing it and we, then we couldn't stop them because they kind of, you know, discovered this whole kind Got of... Creative. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the energy, you know, the energy in the room from going, you know, from something where traditionally they'd just be talking about everything that could go wrong to suddenly getting all excited about all the possibilities that there were was tangible. Yes. And, you know, they went bouncing out of the room. So, you know, and then I think what's happened, certainly within the organisation that Caroline works in, is that then the word has spread. So, um, you know, that's just one example of, of how we we've used it in meetings or with teams but um you know we've also started using it in uh other kind of aspects of the business so another hr uh, process is in effect so in terms of recruitment or promotion panels and um or in terms of career decisions or um uh, performance reviews so it's quite a robust tool if it's um, I said before you go into how you're using it actually can you kind of help me understand what it is then because i'm thinking what are we talking about here in terms of strengths-based approach? Is it like competencies or values or what is it that we're, we're thinking about here? Great. So, yes. So, the strengths-based approach is really um, helping people to kind of tune in to when they feel at their best. And the, re the really important word in this is feel. So, it is based on that kind of emotion of when do you feel at your best? When do you feel at your most energised? 
when do you feel that you're kind of really in flow and kind of working in the way that you were put on earth to work? It's that kind of very natural quality and it is very much based on a kind of feeling um, element. And that's a really important distinction from competency. Okay, yes. With competencies, we really focus on what people are good at. And, um, you know, a lot of the strengths kind of uh, uh, people are, um, such as Marcus Buckingham, actually, who's well known in this area. He's very eloquent in talking about this in terms of, you know, often at school, if you're kind of, you know, good at maths, then people say, oh, fantastic, you're good at maths, you must do more maths. Mm. And actually, you know, you can end up then going into a career in maths and getting to the kind of age of 45 and, you know, suddenly feeling totally burnt out or totally disillusioned and realising that you never actually enjoyed maths. And so this whole thing about you're trying to tap into people's intrinsic motivation of just what they love to do rather than just what they're good at. So the competency bit is what they're good at. And sometimes the two go together. And that's obviously, you know, that that, that is the kind of strength area. But sometimes you can be good at something that you really don't enjoy. And in this language, we, we would then say that's not a strength. Okay. So it's doing more of what you're good at because then you, it brings out the best in you. And, and that's, and I'm thinking back to the Buckingham stuff, there was a school of thought, which was, again, I'm thinking my background's learning and development. A lot of it was about finding training needs or gaps and, and filling gaps. What we're really talking about is finding what people are good at or feel emotionally aligned to and getting them. It's a, it's a bit like getting, you know, the whole person square pegs in a round hole. It's getting that person in the job that aligns to their strengths and they feel good, you'll get more out of them, that sort of approach. Yes, it absolutely is. But I, And I think it's just this important thing that it is about how they feel, not what they're good at. So, mm. um, you know, because you could have a, uh, a, an apparently square peg in a square hole in that they have a capability, but actually for sustainable performance and for brilliant performance, you don't, you can't just do that on capability. You also need to have that with passion and energy yeah. and, you know, that kind of compulsion, if you like, to be in that way. And that's when you start to get that kind of um, the real spikes of kind of performance rather than, you know, the good enough performance. So for I suppose for the HR world, it actually kind of makes life a lot easier because actually if people are just in a position where they can do what they love to do, then actually that's often when you do get discretionary effort and, um, you know, less need to incentivize and people start to kind of excel and kind of, you know, sort of search out learning because they're just so into that area. Um, so you start, you know, it's the thing about you're kind of, you're not pushing water uphill, you're just letting it flow yeah. freely. And so for the organisation, it's far more efficient, actually, in terms of kind of how you get the most out of your people. I was just thinking about that in terms of uh, managing people. So, and it would be helpful, maybe I get you, to, you mentioned that um, Carolyn's got the strength of connecting, but it would be helpful to have an idea of what some of the strengths are to bring it to life. Because I'm thinking managers often find it quite hard to talk about competencies, to talk about behaviours, and they're quite, it might be time management or communication skills, which are much more visible. Whereas my suspicion is that some of these strengths is about getting you know, at the base of the iceberg, it's actually getting to what makes someone themselves because you're talking about feelings. So I could imagine it might be quite challenging for managers to understand that and then in turn get the best out of their people. I, I don't know, am I taking it too far? Is that what would be an example? No, no. Uh, um, 
No, I understand what you're saying. And I think, you know, there are, um, as with, of course, with these things, there are there's psychometrics out there, which can yeah. be really helpful actually for giving that language. Um, so, um, you know, I, I understand that. I think, yes, sometimes it can be challenging to kind of, um, you know, find the words to kind of express or explain what you like. And I think the, the other thing about strengths is that, you know, there is a subtlety. So, um, you know, for instance, you know, communication, someone might be, um good at communication but actually do they love to write or do they love to speak or you know do they love speaking to five people do they love speaking to 50 people do yeah. they love speaking about certain topics do, so there's all of those kind of layers of actually the kind of more specific you can get and understand about what someone loves then the easier it is that when that comes up in the organization as something that needs doing that you can know that you know exactly the right person who will actually probably get it done in, you know, a tenth of the time that someone else might who where it's not their strength. Yes. Um, so if it's in your strength area, you tend to be more efficient, you tend to be quicker and you tend to be better at it. So so in your in, your, in the way you're using it in the organisation you're working with, um, have you got a list of like a, a dictionary of, of strengths that you're measuring people against or is it more about uh, inquiring so, um, so uh, we tend to use a certain instrument, but I mean, uh, um, that's partly because it was the kind of corporately adopted instrument. And yeah. as I said, there are, there are different profiles. The one that we use is the strengths profile, which used to be called Realize 2. Um, and that has, I think it's 60 different strengths that, that you could identify in someone's profile. Um, we quite like it because it identifies the strengths that you're using at the moment. It also identifies strengths that you might really love but you might not be using um so there's an obvious sort of development you know immediately lends itself to development to say oh gosh you know could you use those more or um you know can you look at other ways um, that you could use them even if it's outside of your role um it also identifies and it is important to talk about this because i think you can't ignore obviously if there's something that someone doesn't love to do but is necessary for their job um, you know, that that's the reality that there are things that fall into that category as well. And, you know, it, this isn't all about this sort of idyllic world where everyone can just do what they love to do. Um, so we'll identify uh, the things that people are competent in, but may not love. And quite often, you know, you might have to use those in your role and it'll um, indicate the things that really drain you and probably you're not going to be very good at. Yeah. And the advice, and I think you alluded to this earlier, is really, you know, as much as people can play to their strengths, the more the better, basically. That's best for the individual, best for the organisation. Um, if there are kind of weaknesses that um, are kind of essential for the role, I mean, the first thing is to try and find someone else who's got that as, as a strength and yes. let them use it, you know, obviously. But if if that isn't possible, then really you want to spend the minimum amount of effort developing that area just to get it to the level where it doesn't get in your way but actually focus more development on the strengths or use your strengths to compensate so again traditional models might might say or we'll look at where the gaps are and then we'll spend lots of money on training in that area this is saying don't do that because actually you're wasting your money really because to be honest if someone doesn't love something they are unlikely to suddenly you know, become, you know, really focused on it and get really good at it. I mean, it's just very unlikely that that will happen. Um, you're better off kind of letting them um, develop in the area that they love and just doing sort of minimal work on the areas that, um, you know, that they don't. 
No, that makes that makes sense. I was just I was just trying to remember. You've, something's come to mind, which I'm sure I won't be able to remember it properly. But it was to do with. Um, it was, oh, hang on. I might even. It, it's something to do with. You, you can't judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. You know, it's about. It, it, it's it's there's there's and there's much more to it by that. But it's actually you're never going to be as good at climbing a tree as something that does climb a tree naturally. It, you know, let's say a, a cat. Whereas a cat is, you know, so although they could learn to the cat could learn to swim it's never going to be as effective as the fish so it's it's that sort of thing isn't it about us trying to um knowing where we are and and working with it i was also thinking again and i think you alluded to that how important it is in in teams um and i do there are other tools as well other than this that uh it, that often we tend to be drawn towards the people who share our strengths or the things that we like but actually in a team we need to it, our life is a lot better if we work with people who like to do the things we don't and you have a better overall solution in terms of that um i mean i, I seem to i did something similar one of my strengths i remember is activator which i think is starting things basically um which is still the case so i'm really good at getting things started but do lose interest so i really have to work with people who are good at seeing things through to conclusion and 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 if you can identify that then it it does definitely make everyone's life better because we're all playing to our strengths Yes, absolutely. And I was I was working with um, uh, an organisation last week, actually, where we so with a team where actually they they'd kind of completed their strengths profile, and we did an exercise where um, they kind of you know went round and spent time with each of of their peers in the team to look at actually where they could help each other by comparing their strengths profiles. So looking at kind of where they could work together, actually thinking about their roles and how they needed each other to deliver their roles in the organisation and then looking at their profiles to kind of see how they could help each other. Um, and they found that a really useful exercise. And actually, that's how you kind of leverage the benefit of a team so that you start to get people working across their roles and outside of their roles because it's more about their strengths than their role. Um, um, so that you get that kind of added value from working together. No, that's great. So I suppose I'm conscious that we've only got um, five more minutes or so to be able to chat. So if we were sort of drawing this together, uh, what I love about this, this is this is complementary to other types of psychology because it's linked to positive psychology. It's a different way in which we're looking um, to get the best out of people. It's very practical. So you've actually been able to evaluate people in the workplace, including people who, well, I guess actually that would appeal to engineers um, as long as there's a bit of science behind it. So it is actually scientifically grounded um, there. And uh, and also, you're, you know, you've got some applicability in terms of street teams, in terms of, uh, do you say also recruitment? So you're bringing people into an organisation potentially? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which has been shown to actually have a big uh, impact on kind of diversity and inclusivity. So actually, you know, at, our book is kind of focused on how you boost inclusivity, well-being and performance, because actually those are the kind of the outcomes that you get. Oh, I like that. OK. Adopting a strengths-based approach. Really? So so are we saying it kind of takes out unconscious bias in some way or is, is there a link there? So there is a link there. And actually, we were we were running a workshop just last night for um, a, a women's network where we were talking about this. So um, so we suggest that kind of taking a strengths approach leads to conscious inclusion um, rather than unconscious, you know, the, focusing on unconscious bias. So uh, uh, the, our perspective is really, I suppose, that, um, you know, saying uh, the trouble with unconscious bias is it's a little bit like saying don't think about the pink elephant. Yeah. Um, 
as soon as you kind of draw attention to groups, you know, from psychology, we kind of know that we naturally form groups where the second part of our brain to develop was the limbic system that is about forming social relationships, because actually that helps us to survive as a species, as, you know, most kind of um, species often, you know, form groups because actually it's safer, it helps us to survive. So we have a very strong instinct to do that. And our strong instinct is to join groups where we identify with the other people in the group. So people who do look like us or yes. have similar backgrounds or, you know, so so it's a very kind of biologically driven natural thing to do. And it's very hard to say to someone, um, you know, you are going to be unconsciously biased, which is true. We all are. Um, and for them to then not do that, because it's <laughs> it's kind of your instinct. Um so the, the the strengths approach is really about rather than thinking about people in terms of gender or ethnicity or, you know, any other criteria, really, how old they are, whatever it might be. You're really looking for their individual characteristics and you're looking um, certainly in kind of recruitment for when they're really naturally energized by something or when they're not. So you can look very closely for kind of nonverbal communication clues, which in sort of selection situations, I suppose, rather than think, looking for someone who's very good at talking about how good they are at doing something, um, which you might have with a competency-based interview when you're looking for kind of, you know, certain answers to questions. With this, you're actually looking for those nonverbal signs as to whether they are naturally energised when they talk about something or whether they can say all the right words, but actually the nonverbal indicator is that the emotions aren't going with it. So... So just so I understand that, are you sort of gauging congruence with what they're saying or are you identifying strengths that they need to, um, that, that would be good in a role that you're looking for or both? I'm not sure. Both. I think, so I'd say it's, so I'd say it's both. So, the, so there's things about, so if you're looking, um, you know, so if you're judging people, I suppose, in an interview by, um, you know, can they demonstrate certain competencies, you could have someone potentially who is very good at storytelling, but actually, you know, they're telling the story. They're not actually displaying the competence. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. They can kind of explain it. But if someone is telling you a story about the time that they displayed, um, I don't know, I can't think of a competency sort of uh, relationship building skills, but you can kind of get that sense that there's no excitement in them yeah. in the way that they talk about it, then you know, if you're looking for a strength around relationship building, what you'd be looking for was their eyes lighting up and their mm-hmm. gestures getting big and them just, you know, you could see it in them that they love doing that. So it's a very kind of visible thing, which um, is kind of, it, it, it's a different thing from being good at interviews. It's more about the individual. And the other important thing is that, um, you know, gender difference, for instance, you know, men tend to be more comfortable talking about what they're good at than women Whereas if you say what you love to do, women and men can be equally comfortable talking about that. So you can help oh, that's interesting. women right. to kind of embrace that and talk about things in a way that if you say, well, are you good at that? That women might say, you know, more likely to say that they're not. And also in advertising. So if you're writing job adverts, it's another thing that we've sort of played around with. That if you use language, which is very strengths based language about you know, do you just love to do this or you do feel compelled? Can you not help yourself but do whatever it is? Um, more women tend to apply than if you say, are you good at, do you have experience in 
um, and that kind of language, which is traditional language that you might yeah. use in, in an advert. So it really changes, um, you know, in terms of kind of who applies and then you can change that all the way through the process. So there's been quite a lot of work around how taking this approach helps you to increase your diversity within your organisation, which is obviously a big issue that, um, you know, is quite topical at the moment. Really topical and really fascinating. That is so insightful. Uh, Emily, we've run out of time, but that was really interesting. Thank you so much for your time today. And I really look forward to the book coming out. When When is it? When's the plan? You're still writing, aren't you? So hopefully aiming for 2020. So hopefully next year. So maybe middle of next year. Um, Super. Yeah, and there'll be lots so more good stuff in there. Writing. Yeah. Um, so I suppose for the benefit of those listening, if you want to know more about Emily or her, her book and any of her social media contacts, we'll put that on the show notes um, if anyone wants to link in or, or find out more about her work. Uh, so all I'll do now is I'll, I'll wrap up and I'll say thanks so much for your time. Uh, and thank you for listening to this week's HR Uprising. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.